You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to the fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 56, The War Games, part 2. I am as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. Don't worry, I won't hurt you. <laughs> How's it going, Paul? <laughs> it's pretty good, actually. Um... Except for work emergencies, which get on my nerves. That's us. You know. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we're back yes. again to talk about the war games uh, in our lead up to our, the master in our master story reviews here. Uh, I'm super excited to finish up this story. We, we discussed the first five episodes of this ten episode arc last episode. So if you're just picking up this episode and haven't listened to our previous episode, I recommend you go back. Uh, and listen to that other episode because we are not going to be recapping the first five episodes. We got plenty of other stuff to talk about, and these episodes are so dense that our summary of it would take you know thirty minutes, anyways. <laughs> but before we get into the war games, we do have a little bit of news, don't we? Maybe. <laughs> All right, our first little item of news involves. Shocker of Shocks Series 10. Yes. Oh my gosh, we've got Series 10 news. <laughs> Just a little bit. Some more writers have been announced. Oh, is that all? Um, yes, that is. But the cool thing is one of the writers is Rona Monroe, who wrote the seventh Doctor story, Survival, which is the final episode of the classic series. Ever. Yes, ever. Uh, and I believe... <laughs> uh, is the first of the classic writers to uh, write a story for the new series, or at least in a while. I don't know if that's completely true, but I know that it sounds good anyway. It does, it does. <laughs> um, but 
Rona Monroe will be writing an episode entitled The Eaters of Light, which is apparently, according to Doctor Who TV, episode 9 of series 10. So, um, we'll have to wait a little bit, but if survival is any indication, it could be a pretty good episode. I enjoyed survival. It's a uh, the final episode of the classic series featuring the seventh Doctor and Ace um, and their run in with the Master. So we will discuss that at some point during this Master story review run that we are doing right now. So um, whether or not that's before or after her series 10 episode airs remains to be seen because we don't know exactly how much of the Master stories we're going to get through before series 10 starts and if they're going to be taking any breaks. Yeah. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but I'm excited about this. I think it could be cool. Yeah, I, I think it'd be fun, um, especially if it brings the tone uh, to the story that you got with some of the classic stuff. You know, I like to see a crossover feel to the new and classic stuff. I like it to feel like it naturally mm-hmm. fits together. And I think a really good way to do that is by bringing in classic writers. Yeah. You know, um, because... Especially if you bring in people that wrote key episodes of the classic series that can reincorporate some of the stuff from the classic series into the new series. I think that would be really nice. Yeah, that could be cool. But speaking of writing, we had another story that came out here. Uh, What's going on with this one? It's very brief, but it kind of makes me a little sad almost. Uh, it's you know we're we're losing Stephen Moffat uh, at the end of series ten um, as the showrunner, but you know <clears throat> he's always been a writer on the show ever since the beginning, and now he has officially said that he doesn't have any intention to ever write Doctor Who ever again. Yeah. So yeah, there's that and. I look at that as being kind of the end of an era in itself because, you know, he he wrote episodes when Davies was running the show. And so those episodes carried over, you know, especially like characters like River Song carried over into Stephen Moffat's run. And, you know, I just think it would be nice for him to be writing a few episodes later, you know, under Chris Chibnall. You know, I, I think that that would be a nice kind of transition. But it doesn't sound like we're going to get any of that at all. Yeah, yeah. he says, uh, basically he says, It feels uh, as though in my limited time on this earth, I really should start focusing on something else. It's not that I've lost love for the show at all, but I think it's time for Doctor Who to have something new as well as me, is the quote. Um, And it sounds like he has something specific in mind, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's going to be turning his attentions to Series 5, I believe, of Sherlock. um, You know, which, you know, will air in, you know, 2072. But... uh, (laughs) (laughs) And will be four episodes long instead of three. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. but you're right. It does sound like he's got he's got another project that he's thinking about that he might want to turn his attention to. Yeah. Um, although, you know, we've seen people like this say things before, where you know, uh, well, when I'm done with this thing, I'm done with it forever, um, and then they come <laughs> back. You know, uh, anyone famous in mind? <laughs> well, you brought up the infamous GL George Lucas. Uh, you know, yeah. after Return of the Jedi, he was like, <laughs> okay, that's it. Uh, I think we're done. And then, you know, 
what, 15 years, years, years later? Here come the prequels. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, that's it. Uh, six, six episodes are done, and that's, that's the story <laughs> of Darth Vader, and that's it. And then he sells the whole thing to Disney, and we've got Episode 7 and Rogue One. Well, and, Episode you know. 7 was already in pre-production when he sold the thing. I mean, right. He was almost he ready. On to, it, yeah. you know? <laughs> he had been working on Episode 7 when he sold it to Disney as part of the selling point. So, yeah, you know, maybe... Maybe Moffat will come back in the future, but for the foreseeable future, right? He will not be working on Doctor Who in any capacity I, after I, I'd like he's to done this. At least write a special episode or something at some point, you know. No, well, it's possible, but you know, <laughs> the other thing is after you know to use to go back to the George Lucas uh, comparison, I uh, you know after he sold everything over to Disney. He's pretty much decided that retirement is a good thing. Right. And he comes back to, you know, check things <laughs> out once in a while, but he's enjoying <laughs> he, retirement. He visits yeah. the sets and stuff, you know? <laughs> right. Right. I could I could see I could see Steven doing that. You know, oh, yeah. showing showing up to, to visit the set. Hey, you know, might, this might be a good idea, and then turns around and leaves. And, right, you know, that might be a good idea, and then leaves the whole crew to ponder that, as he has no other actual responsibilities to do with it. So, you know, um, <laughs> I, oh, I, but yeah, you know, for the foreseeable future, it's probably a good thing for Stephen Moffat to, you know, for himself personally to to take a break at least, at the very least, uh, from Doctor Who, uh, so he can work on some other things um if you stay away from something long enough you come back to it with a fresh set of eyes too so right right but as of right now it doesn't look like he'll be coming back to it at all uh which you know we that's wish, his intention anyway right. we wish Stephen moffat all the best as yes. he decides to pursue other things uh, but we've still got a christmas special series 10 and i'm assuming that next year's christmas special with him at the helm to get through first. Um, and speaking of this year's Christmas special, the <laughs> BBC Children in Need uh, drive that they always do um, has a sneak peek, an almost three-minute sneak peek at this year's Christmas special. So what we're going to yeah. do is we're going to play the audio from that here and then talk about it briefly. So... Get ready, folks. If you want to queue up the trailer on YouTube or wherever uh, to watch along with us, uh, we will be starting it in three, two, one, play. What's happening? What are you doing? Lucy Fletcher, reporter from the Daily Chronicle. Hang on. Why am I telling you the truth? Spooky, isn't it? Look for the story. I think I just found one. Brains with minds of their own. Don't believe that. This is America. Who are you? Special Agent Dan. Dangerous from Scotland Yard. Scotland. The doctor, for short. See, they've got institutes all over the world. But always in capital cities. Nope. Yes. Yes, they are. See? 
New York's not a capital city, is it? You don't need to point out the mistakes. That's not what you're for. Washington's got its own one, yeah. I would call security, but they might leave you alive. I do not want any awkward questions about the intruders I was forced to shoot for my own protection. Good plan. Here's another one. Go on. Tell them you shot us in the back in self-defense. We'll be laughing all the way to the slab. Face me. Maybe not. Face me now. What is that? It's not me. It sounds like... Like someone knocking at a window. We're on the hundredth floor. Oh my god, he's real. Who's real? The ghost. Who's the ghost? Masked vigilante, but he's... What? Super. Mind if I come in? Impressive. Those windows, like everything in this building, are built to withstand a blast equivalent to four nuclear explosions. Sorry about that. Would you like me to call a glacier? Hmm. The Doctor will return this Christmas uh, in the return of Doctor Mysterio. Uh, one thing I do want to point out is that it does not look like this is a final edit because there's a couple things in there that, you know, like when she's explaining who the, the ghost is, uh, you know, she there's some dialogue in there that doesn't look like, doesn't sound like it's in there, you know, as a final mix. And of course, they're using Eleven's music for the superhero as he's walking across the floor. Um, <laughs> I, I'm guessing they're going to have some sort of other musical cue for him. But, you know, it doesn't look like it's a final mix. So, <laughs> folks, don't jump to conclusions yet. But let's talk about what we did see, Paul. Uh, overall thoughts on on this sneak peek. I like the way they use Nardo. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, see, they have locations in all only in capital cities. It's not right. What? New York's not a capital, is it? <laughs> it's not your job to point out mistakes. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. Well, Washington's got a location. Washington's got its own, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, oh I'm, I'm going to be a fan of Nardle in the new series. Uh, he's going to be much better Outside of a robot suit. He's playing him more intelligently in what we just saw than he was in the last Christmas episode. And we'll see, of course, how in the world the Doctor gets Nardle in this state. <laughs> but, you know, I like it. But basically what we're seeing here is the Doctor is, you know, infiltrated this place. And I'm not entirely certain what it is yet. But something bad is going on. And the doctor and this reporter are snooping around, and I love the fact that he's, you know, eating sushi while he's sneaking around. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
like, you know, complete disregard. You know, right. he's hungry. And so while he's snooping, <laughs> he's going to be eating something. He's got sushi. Um, but we're returning to New York City. And apparently they're running across a superhero. Right. Which, of course, we've known from, you know, previous uh, information that's come out about this episode. And the funny thing about this superhero, at least to me, is that he seems to be in line with... Uh, he seems to be in line with a lot of what we got from the early days of Superman in the comics. You know, you think so? I think so. You know, he he's in the in the way that he's you know it's against my personal code to you know <laughs> have any lasting injury, uh, l- right. light to moderate injury is fine. You know, <laughs> it's, he seems to be almost parroting what we got from Superman in the early days. Um, See, I saw it as them hybridizing Superman and Batman. Maybe. I mean, we only get this one look at the character. <laughs> so, I, I right. mean, but but it does seem to me to be a bit of a throwback to, yeah, you know, the classic age of superheroes rather than what we're getting nowadays where everything's either, you know, like with DC, either super dark and, you know, gritty and real <laughs> or just like, hey, let's take the characters that were in the comics and put them on the screen and have fun with that like we're getting with Marvel. This seems to be very much sort of a throwback, maybe kind of a parody of the classic age of superhero comics. A little bit. And we'll see if that's the case, but I, I like the idea of the Doctor having to, you know, be pitted against a superhero or pitted in a situation with a superhero. See, I, I almost see this like what you mentioned before as this possibly being uh, their take on Shazam. Mm, yeah. You know, uh, like the little boy, like you said before, becomes the superhero. Yeah. Well, and the other option, of course, is that the doctor goes back and visits the little boy, um, you know, before, before he, he becomes, becomes the, superhero. the superhero. So, you know, he does have a time <laughs> machine. So <laughs> that would work, too, though. So, you know, it, it is, you know, there is a lot of that. But it sounds like someone knocking at a window. We're on the hundredth floor. He just snaps. <laughs> a window was supposed yeah. to withstand four nuclear explosions. <laughs> Sorry. Would you like me to contact a glazier? You know. It's it's like a mix of Spider-Man snark, Superman morality, and almost Batman looks. You know, yeah. it's like... Without the ears. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just blend the entire superhero genre, give it a throwback, <laughs> and stick our tongue fir- firmly in our cheek uh, at the same time? <laughs> you know, this is like a tongue-in-cheek throwback to the entire you, you know, American superhero genre. Of course, the the other question is, is this going to be an actual real-world situation, or is this going to go back to being something similar to what we had with Santa Claus? Mm, Right. (laughs) Is this a real superhero, or is it an alien with an ulterior motive? You know? know, (laughs) Well, you know, technically Superman was an alien, but, you know. Details, you know. But I like the idea of the Doctor in the situation. And, of course, Nardole is the perfect foil for, you know, as a superhero sidekick. Uh, I mean, in, in a sense, the Doctor is a superhero in and of himself, just in a less overt way. So, in a less boisterous way, you know what this sort of reminded me of? What? The second Doctor and Jamie. <laughs> the, the dynamic between the Doctor and Nardole? 
right in this yeah, in, yeah. in this video it be, you know in a less boisterous way because they weren't like in each other's face or whatever you know right and, and, <laughs> and Nardle's definitely not as gung-ho about you know violent action as Jamie is but yes the dynamic I can I can totally see that it's sort of like a, more of a laid-back sort of Dr. Jamie <laughs> idea yeah so <laughs> I can see that um Especially since they have allowed Peter Capaldi to evolve the Doctor so much, you know. Right, right. We'll we'll definitely see where this goes. I'm excited for it, but then again, it's just new Doctor Who after a whole year of not having anything. So I'm just like, give me the Doctor! <laughs> I will admit that that is definitely something. But, are you excited about this? Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, like really, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with this, because... It just seems like something completely out of left field uh, in my mind. You know, it, it's something that I did not expect at all. Right. And that's the kind of thing that I think has made uh, some of the Christmas specials and things much more successful, in my opinion, over the years, is they bring in something that you just did not expect. I mean, who expected to actually see Santa Claus... <laughs> in the Christmas special, you know. Right. Uh, now, whether you like it or not, who expected to see a flying shark <laughs> in the Christmas special? You know, right. uh, that was one of the things that I took issue with, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> some people liked it, you know. Um, that's one of the few times that it wasn't quite my taste, but... <laughs> yeah, the flying you know. shark who's, you know, attracted or sort of controlled by music, you know. Right. <laughs> But, uh, but you know, anyway, I just think that that sometimes bringing in something that people don't ever even imagine is going to be there can sometimes make it even better. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It could. This could totally work. Um, and of course, we still have yet to really find out what is going on with the villains in this. So we don't really know what problem the doctor and the superhero are facing um so we'll see we'll have to yeah, see I, I was really uh i was really sort of surprised and it really enjoyed the the one with the giant cyberman you know um i didn't expect to see that and so when i saw the giant cyberman i was like Okay, we're getting a, monster, a giant monster movie in Doctor Who. You know, it's, <laughs> it's sort of like seeing Pacific Rim in Doctor Who, you know. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of neat. It was like taking... Before Pacific Rim. Yeah, it was like taking a different genre and bringing into this genre, you know. Well, we'll see what happens this Christmas, but I think we've talked about the news long enough. We need to We need to get into the war games because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, moving pew, forward. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, all right. <laughs> so, again, uh, this is part two of the War Games. We've already talked episode one through five of the War Games last time, so go back and listen to those to catch up. 
Spoilers. But we're going to kick things off here with episode six. Uh, the Doctor, Zoe, and Carstairs, the you know nineteen seventeen British officer, um, are hiding in the landing bay. Jamie is leading a group, help, helping to leave a group of resistance fighters to come to the war game command center here. Uh, you know the the uh, the war lords command center right here. I should say not the war game command center, um, although both could probably be applicable. Uh, he disembarks with the rest of the resistance soldiers, and they were all shot by guards. Pew pew. Ending, you know, <laughs> to end episode five. Um, Although it was more like. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think they had sonic weapons. What do you think? Something like that. It seemed yeah. like it was something to that effect because everyone would grab their heads. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the doctor, Zoe, and Carstairs can't do anything at the moment, so they run off and try and head over to the processing room because that's where they figure the prisoners will end up. Because it turns out. The setting on the guards' weapons was for stun, basically, not kill, as they led us to believe at the end of the previous episode. Which, of course, you have to assume uh, when a companion or the doctor is in <laughs> trouble in that way. Um, <laughs> the security chief and, of course, uh, the war chief are at odds, as we saw last time. Uh, and the security chief informs the scientist that he needs him to let him know if there's anything suspicious with any of these prisoners. Because uh, it appears that the Time Lords have another agent in the war games. You know, whether or not the uh, war chief yeah. has called them or they're coming in of their own accord is yet to be determined, but he needs to know what's going on. And this is the first time in the entire series that we hear the term Time Lord. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and so the scientist who we've seen before goes, okay, I'll let you know. The doctor, Zoe, and Carsters are trying to go to the processing room, but it is heavily guarded. And so they go to the room on the other side uh, and discover that the panels of the walls are being held, are embedded with metal and are held together using a force field of some sort, a magnetic field of some sort. And he goes and sets to work uh, finding a way to disconnect the force field, the magnetic field of one of these panels. And so he starts having Zoe uh, and Carsters help him tape a wire to this panel. I do like as they fade away from this, uh, this shot here, and he's pointing out where he wants the pieces of tape. He goes, and here. And she tapes his finger to the wall, and they just <laughs> cut away um, without actually addressing it. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that was something that <laughs> Patrick Troughton and uh, the actress who plays Zoe, Wendy, Wendy Padbury, I believe is her name, uh, you know, <laughs> did as a, you know, you know, on their own accord. They were ad-libbing that little moment there. He's known to do that. <laughs> uh, he is. He is. <laughs> While the scientist ex is examining the resistance fighters, uh, you know, he... The doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to send an opposite charge to the wire that he's got taped to the panel, and it demagnetizes the panel, I guess, and they're able to pull it away, and they watch as 
scientist notices that Jamie is different from all the others in that he's never been processed before <laughs> and send him away. So they're like, okay, we have to find a way to rescue Jamie, but first we need to rescue all of these other guys. Uh, and they sneak into the processing room, disable the scientists and the guards, and start reviving the resistance fighters, including uh, Russell. T. Davies? Who is there? No. <laughs> Russell's his last name. Pooh. Uh, <laughs> uh, at the same time, as the security chief is questioning Jamie and the doctor is uh, reviving the resistance fighters, uh, Von Weich is trying to convince uh, the guard protecting him to, you know, join his side. And he asks for his monocle. Which I was like, oh, don't do that. I finally realized who this guy reminds me of. <laughs> who does he remind you of? Dr. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> A bit, yes. I kept waiting for him to say, I want one million dollars. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> One always wonders why Dr. Evil only wanted $1 million. Because um, in the 60s it was worth a lot more than it is today. <laughs> I suppose. <sighs> but, uh, you know, of course he starts to brainwash Sergeant Moore, who's guarding him, and we like, oh, this is not good. The security chief questioning Jamie uh, is not getting the answers he wants, because he wants Jamie to admit that they were summoned by the war chief. Um, who incidentally has found out from the scientists what the security chief is doing. Uh, so he barges okay. in on this interrogation and says, so, did you get the answers you're looking for? You know, don't let me interrupt the interrogation. The interrogation is over. Oh, really? Are you sure? You know, yes. Um, well, is it just me, or did the security chief feel like that he should have been a Dalek? Yes. <laughs> or an automaton of some sort. Yeah, it because just, he sounds and behaves yeah. a bit like an automaton. I mean, he 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 walks around like either a Cyberman or an automaton, and he speaks very and, robotic. And emotes emotes like a Dalek. Yeah, you know. And, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, that's just creepy, weird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, she, oh, sorry, it almost got on my nerves. I know why it was there, but it almost got on my nerves how much he and the war chief were trying to play this game of my gun is bigger than your gun. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying? They're, they're playing for daddy's affection. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a bit like uh, Kylo Ren and General Hux right? uh, playing for Snoke's affection in The Force Awakens. And yes... There is another Star Wars reference for you folks after a discussion about George Lucas. It's almost to a whole other level at some right. points in this, you know. It's so <laughs> petty. It's so petty. Like they're totally, it, it is a total power maneuvering between the two of them. Uh, the security chief does not like the war chief because the war chief is not a warlord, you know, right. not right. part of, not one of them. And he does not like having to answer to the war chief. And the war chief wants to secure his own position of power for other reasons, as we will see later. And, um, and the war chief is the only person in this entire organization who doesn't have Mascanada goggles. 
I'm just saying. You're right. You're right. Every time we see these people, they've got these glasses or monocles or something, and every time they look right at the camera, their eyes are super big. They're like twice um, as large as they should be, and I'm looking right. at this, and I'm thinking, that looks completely alien. You know? <laughs> and, it's so and weird. It's, it's not humorous when you're watching it, though. It's more creepy when you're watching it, you know, because it's not played up as being humorous at all, you yeah. know? And it's so off-putting that you're sitting there and you're thinking, why, 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 you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, to bring a Babylon 5 reference into this, uh, there's an episode of Babylon 5 where uh, this particular race of aliens uh, are at odds with one another. It's like a civil war that takes place, I think, like every five or seven years or something. I'd have to go back and watch the episode. It's been a while since I've seen it. But the only thing that is different about them is that one side wears green and one side wears purple. And everything else is the same. <laughs> and they hate each other because one side wears green and one side wears purple, you know? <laughs> and that's almost how petty this was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, the security chief decides to bring the war chief to the processing room to prove to him that, yes, Jamie was different than everybody else. Um, and, of course, by the time they get there, everybody's gone. You know, the, the doctor and the resistance fighters have escaped. Um, but they were contained in the, uh, in the processing room by the guards. So nobody came through. Nobody came outside. And so when nobody's there... The security chief goes, ha, they have a space-time machine. That's obviously how they escaped. And, of course, he's using that against right. the war chief because you're the only one with that technology. You must have helped them, you know. Right. But the war chief notices the panel being slightly off-kilter, pushes it, and says, well, I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but your there's, guards are stupid. There's your space-time machine right there. Right, right. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamie is rescued by the doctor and the rest of the group, um, who are all disguised as World War One British soldiers, um, complete with gas masks so that their faces are hidden. Uh, you know, are you my mummy anymore? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> they even brought an extra set of, of a disguise for Jamie, and they all marched towards the landing bay to walk out of here under everybody's noses. They, they disable the controller in the landing bay and start to escape, but the doctor wants to stay in order to get the reprocessing machine. And Jamie says, well, I'm going to stay with you. You're going to get yourself into trouble. And Carstairs goes, well, I'm coming too. Uh, so Zoe and the rest of the resistance folks are sent back to the uh, Civil War zone. Uh, and the doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs stay behind to get the reprocessing unit. Don't you love the fact that the doctor's companions are so loyal that they never do what he tells them to do? <laughs> Pretty much. It's like, you would think it would be the other way around, okay? You would think the loyalty would be that they followed his instructions, 
But the loyalty is actually there because they don't do what he tells them to do. Right. Because they're like, <laughs> no, you're going to get yourself into trouble and we're not going to let you do that. You know, right? or we're going to get you out of it. <laughs> I wish work situations worked out like that. You know? mm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is Russell uh, is the first to emerge from the space time capsule back in the Civil War zone. And Von Weich has successfully brainwashed Sergeant Moore and is ordering Sergeant Moore to kill Russell. Russell attempts to talk Moore out of it. It's almost successful, but not quite. And so they get into a scuffle in which Moore gets knocked out by being thrown against the barn wall. Uh, Von Weich has gotten a hold of a gun and is about to shoot Russell when, bang, a shot rings out. Von Weich falls to the ground, and Moore has been returned to his senses due to the knock on the head. Yay! Yay! And now Mr. Monocle Man <laughs> is dead. Uh, thank the maker. And there was yeah. much rejoicing. Yay! He, he looks like Dr. Evil and Mr. Peanut had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and that's creepy. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and so that's one more of these, you know, warlords out of the way. Um, that's two now that they've killed off. Is that right? Um, I think so. No, Smythe <laughs> is not dead yet. Okay. Not dead yet. Um, <laughs> it's a bit whiffy in here. It's a, mm, <laughs> just a bit. Uh, the doctor has managed to get a hold of the, uh, reprocessing machine and a couple of gas cylinders, you know. Uh, so on their way back to the landing bay, you know, he runs in, throws one of the gas cylinders into the middle of all the guards, you know, causing them to be, you know, blinded and, you know, coughing fits while they have their gas masks and rush into the space time capsule thing. It's hard for me not to call it a TARDIS light, you know. Well, um, technically, that's what it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, but the war chief and the security chief are on top of things and head immediately to the landing platform. And as the doctor takes control of one of the machines and is about to, you know, take it where he wants it rather than have it just go on its natural path through the time zones... Uh, the war chief decides to basically give the doctor an ultimatum, surrender, or we will crush you, as he begins to uh, shrink the dimensions inside this uh, capsule. TARDIS. TARDIS thing. <laughs> uh, and, you know, threatening to crush them to death. He basically does the same thing to the doctor that the doctor did to the monk. What? Hmm. And there's not a connection between <laughs> these characters? <gasps> I'm flabbergasted. I don't think no, we should no, pay no. attention to the expanded universe. <laughs> right, right, right. There's some things that just should not be paid attention to. I agree. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. It's already been done. There is the master, there is the monk, and there is the war chief, and they are all separate characters. I want to find out if there's actual stories that specify the difference between those characters in yeah. the novels and stuff. Folks, if you know, 
those because obviously, you know, we talk about Doctor Who, but we're not versed in everything Doctor Who. Can you tell us, you know, if there are yeah. specific stories, whether it's novel or comic or big finish, where it specifies that they're all separate characters rather than possibly, you know, just different versions of the master. Like I think it was originally <laughs> designed to be, and I yeah. want to think that's the way it is in my head. Um, well, it's my told own head that game. way. It's, it's very much told that way. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, you know, if the only place that you legitimately see that they're separate characters is in that one obsolete game, I don't care. You know what I mean? (laughs) Basically, the doctor decides to come out and wave a hanky of surrender. Um, (laughs) Yes, it's his white hanky rather than... (laughs) You almost made me spit my drink out. (laughs) Took a second for you to get that one, too. Um, (laughs) I was watching you. Um, But yes, you know, the... The doctor emerges from the the capsule, waving his hanky in surrender, tries to negotiate his way out of this. Uh, The war chief does not negotiate with terrorists, apparently. Um, (laughs) And so the doctor decides to take matters into his own hands, uh, you know, flinging the last of his gas valves to the ground, causing it to another one to explode. Everyone coughing and blinded uh, while he uses said hanky to cover his mouth and nose manages to get to the control panel, rearrange things the way he wants them to, and then takes the <laughs> control circuits that control the specific capsule with him <laughs> so that they can't use it against him, and then he can use it to take them where he wants to go. Did you notice how the control panels were set up on this? It's like magnets. Yeah, it's what it looked like. It looked like it was magnets on a board as mm-hmm. opposed to levers and knobs and things like that. I I thought it was very unique the way that they did that. Yeah. Yeah. And moving specific magnets in specific ways Mm -hmm. uh, operates different items and different things and causes them to do what you want them to do. It it is, it's interesting. Um, I'd like to, you know, see a diagram of how that's all supposed to work, but it is interesting. Um, (laughs) The war chief, of course, says that they should focus their attention on the, uh, World War One, 1917 zone, because that's obviously where they'll be heading back for. We then cut inside the capsule where the doctor says we should not return to the 1917 zone because that's where they'll expect us to go. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, park in a nearby zone and then cross over by foot. I thought you, thought you just said we're not going back to the 1917 zone. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that being said, uh, the security chief and the war chief are attempting to track this capsule when the warlord arrives. You know, he's not one of the warlords. He is the warlord. Right. And the way this guy plays this character. Oh my. It is, it is so well done. Yeah. So well done. It was, it was, the the it was so underplayed that it was almost overplayed if you know what i mean yeah yeah he he's you know where where the security chief and the war chief are squabbling and bickering and trying to outshout the other in order to please this guy he's yeah. so like almost monotone in the way he addresses them uh and so in such an underplayed way it's really creepy you know, it's, it, it's almost like the Emperor from Star Wars. Except the Emperor from Star Wars takes great 
pleasure in the evil that he causes and right. does not hide it as you know his cackling <laughs> laugh implies but i was referring to the times when the, the emperor is being seductive you know ah uh, ah uh, yes you know that's chancellor <laughs> palpatine yeah gotcha Gotcha. Or, in, or in Return of the Jedi when he's trying to seduce Luke to the dark side, you know. Mm. True. Um, but yeah, no, he, he's definitely, you know, one of those cool, calm, collected, you don't want to cross him because if he explodes, that's terrifying sort of villains. Um, they have pinpointed, though, where the Doctor lands. Um, it's back in the Roman time zone. And so we get the stock footage again of the Romans charging across the fields <laughs> towards them, and they take off running up the hill uh, that the ambulance previously backed through and reemerge back in 1917. <laughs> yeah. Oh. In this instance, it's the same footage from the previous episodes of the Romans running across the fields. Um, so, um, it's not even and of reversed course, or anything, huh? Nope. Nope. Uh, <laughs> And so, of course, you know, we never see the Romans and the Doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs in the same shot, so they can they can get away with it, sort of. Um, of <laughs> course, back in 1966, when this was being aired, you didn't binge watch this all at once, and so you know you could get away with that sort of thing a bit easier. Um, and well, it wasn't like you know six episodes in or whatever, people are going to forget certain things, you know. Right, right. <laughs> Visually, right. <laughs> When the warlord returns and he finds out the state of things, uh, the war chief informs the warlord that the processing machine has been stolen as well as all of this and frames it in such a way that the security chief is forced to take the blame for it, uh, which, of course, <laughs> definitely grinds the security chief's gear. <laughs> uh, the... Security chief wants to send guards in after the doctor, uh, and the war chief says no, because if we send our guards in, it'll break the credulity of the war games, and our soldiers will start to question what's going on, and we could have a full revolt on our hands. Um, the war chief says that they should form an assault around the TARDIS because that's where they'll be heading. Right. Of course, they continue to bicker and argue, and it just gets worse and worse and worse until the <laughs> warlord says. Shut up, cooperate, or you'll be replaced. I kept waiting for one of these guys to finally go, Squiggy, I'm going home. Right. <laughs> I'm taking my marbles and going home. You know, it, it is, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. You're not my friend anymore. It was getting so bad. It was getting so freaking bad and so yeah. petty. You almost expected a slap fight to break out. I was going to say it was like two little girls fighting. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, two little boys, they beat each other up. They get over it. They go play, you know. Right. <laughs> two little girls. <laughs> they will claw each other's eyes out and never speak to each other again. <laughs> right. Although you know, uh, the Dr. Jamie and Carstairs returned to 1917 near a machine gun emplacement. Oh, goody. Um, goes the security chief. Uh, machine gunners start firing at them, but are knocked out by Zoe and a couple of resistance fighters who have snuck up behind them. Uh, they're about to, you know, yell out to the doctor that everything's all right when they notice that a bunch of other soldiers have surrounded the trio and they basically bide their time. The doctor, Jamie, and Carstairs are now returned to General Smythe. 
with his bug eye glasses. <laughs> oh. Yes. Who, rather than inform the higher ups of the capture, decides to just take revenge on the trio and kill them all. Well, he's <laughs> going to kill the doctor because his court martial has already been concluded and, you know, execution has been. Uh, you know, sentenced against him. Uh, he will ensure, though, that Jamie and Carstairs get a proper court-martial. Right. Uh, so he <laughs> sends the doctor off to be myrtleized by his firing squad. Actually, then... actually, the doctor tells him, your superiors will want me to be alive. Mm-hmm. He says, your superiors will want me alive because they'll want me for questioning and everything. Yeah. And, and Smythe <laughs> goes, I don't care. He makes up Basically. a story to report back to his superiors to say, Oh, and I'm sorry, but the doctor's already dead. Right. <laughs> doctor's, he, he does go and report um, as the doctor's being taken away to the firing squad. Oh, I've captured two of your fugitives, but unfortunately the doctor died. And this is when he finds out that the processing machine has been stolen by the doctor. Mm-hmm. And only the doctor knows where it's at. <laughs> so at the last minute, he tries to abort the uh, firing squad, but it sounds like he's unsuccessful. Because firing breaks out. Turns out, though, that Zoe and her resistance group, along with Russell, uh, have stormed the chateau and take over, killing Smythe in the process. I'm sorry, but I guess it's my OCD. I don't know. Every single time you say the name Russell, I want to say T. Davies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. (laughs) It's funny, though. In my head, it's funny. (laughs) Yes, well, I'm sure it is. (laughs) I have to bite my tongue. Uh, I I watched you fidget over there for a minute. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Every single time you said that in this episode, I have had to bite my tongue because I want to say (laughs) It seems like an automatic reaction. That's just what I'm, yes. I'm used to that, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, as the, I should say, while the, the resistance fighters are taking over the chateau, Smythe is ordered by the war chief to deactivate the area control uh, to in order to destroy the time zone. He is in the process of doing that when Russell himself, not T. Davies, but Russell... <laughs> breaks down the door and is the one to shoot Smythe. Uh, I thought this was kind of a cool action scene because he kicks down the door and sort of runs in and slides into the room so that Smythe shoots over the top of him and he's able to shoot Smythe, you know, and get him. This shows a great bit of growth in the series with the use of action and stunts and things like that compared to where we were in our last first doctor episode. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I thought it was a great bit of action. It was pretty cool. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's cool. I had forgotten about that. You know, you, you uh, even have so. one scene where somebody puts their boot on somebody's neck, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're definitely kicking the action up a notch uh, in this. The headquarters can see the resistance fighters, you know, entering the office of general Smythe and they see the doctor and Zoe as they start investigating the, the machine and until Zoe turns it off, you know. So now everyone knows the resistance has taken control of that time zone, basically. 
and that the doctor's still alive. Right. So now they have to cover their tracks. Exactly. Uh, they do notice, however, that all or most of the resistance fighters are in the same place. Uh, the security chief wants to send in more guards. The war chief wants to destroy the chateau with an artillery barrage. Uh, <laughs> Laser monkeys and acid. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the warlord goes, no. We're going to have the forces within that time zone surround and destroy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the doctor is struggling to find a way to defuse the situation with this, you know, time zone controlling device and orders the resistance fighters basically to hold on as long as possible as the uh, chateau is surrounded and, and attacked on all sides by all factions in World War One. <laughs> At the last possible minute, though, he manages to basically set up a time barrier right around the chateau so none of the uh, other fighters can get in. The resistance fighters can come and go because they're not controlled by the time zone barriers, uh, but nobody else can get in. Uh, they take a hostage. The doctor is able to use the reprocessing machine to deprocess him. Uh, and then they start planning how to get all of the resistance fighters together. <laughs> they get this guy deprogrammed, and then everybody realizes he speaks French. <laughs> right. Nobody speaks French. <laughs> yeah. So Carsters can speak a little bit, uh, but he's struggling. Um, he says, do you speak English? He says, you English? He says, oh, you English? He says, uh, we're from a bit of everywhere. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, uh, you know, before the doctor can order Russell and his men to start gathering equipment so he can basically find a way to use the reprogramming machine on a mass level mm-hmm. rather than just one person at a time, they hear the materialization of a space-time capsule. Which sounds more and more and more like the TARDIS as the right. story progresses. Uh, in Smythe's office, um, and the security chief and a couple of guards emerge, you know, firing basically at random into the rooms, uh, killing some of the resistance fighters. The doctor notices that the reprogramming machine is there on the floor, goes to grab it, and is grabbed by the guards and the security chief. And both he and the machine are taken aboard the capsule back to the security zone. So, now the doctor is, uh, you know, going to be questioned by the war chief and the warlord. Uh, and the, Jamie and Zoe have to figure out how to help, you know, Carsters and Russell get all of the resistance fighters together for a mass attack. When the doctor gets out of the TARDIS light with all of the guards with their sonic weapons. They're all guarding him and pointing their weapons at him as if he is public enemy number one. And he just casually looks at all of them and goes, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. <laughs> you know? Yes. And when he said that, I literally almost spit out my drink because I laughed out loud so hard <laughs> because it was just so perfect. Yes, it was. <laughs> But they, ba- but basically what this is, is they have to get the Doctor separated from everyone else 
for what happens between him and the war chief. I know. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, of course, the security chief has tried to use his truth machine on the doctor to get the answers he wants out of the doctor, but the doctor doesn't respond to any of his questions. Um, and the war chief goes, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> And takes the doctor to the control room and kicks out all the guards and technicians. Because that's not suspect at all. No. No. <laughs> so that he can reveal his plan and hopefully get the doctor to join forces with him. Of course, Zoe and Jamie uh, learn from the resistance fighters that the largest group of resistance fighters is led by... Um, Arturo Villar, uh, who is from the Mexican Civil War, uh, and a bunch of Arturo's men are, you know, have their own resistance. And so they need to get him and the other resistance leaders together for a meeting. But Arturo does not like working with others. I'm sorry. It's just this character was played so over the top. Uh, yeah. Does the word stereotype come to mind? <laughs> oh, dear God. Remember, folks, this is the 1960s. Uh, cultural stereotypes in full effect here. Thank you very much. See, if they were doing this today, they would have brought in an actual Latino to play this role, you know. Right. But they've got a British <laughs> actor, you know, with, you know, some must-up hair, you know, you know. Five-day-old stubble, in addition to his, you know, other facial hair, uh, hasn't shaved or showered in a week, and you know he giant poncho and sombrero and yeah. bandoliers and huge everything. sombrero. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's <sighs> at, at, at some point you almost expect him to start firing in the air like Yosemite Sam and going, ay, 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 you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> Or, you know, start slugging back, you know, beer after beer after beer, <laughs> and then going down and laying down for a siesta. You know, you almost expect that sort of thing right? to just happen in the middle of the show. Right. Um, the stereotype is so bad. <laughs> but uh, basically, the chateau gets emptied as Carsters, Russell, and the rest of these folks go out to try and find and contact all the leaders of the different resistance groups and bring them here for a powwow, basically. <laughs> Unfortunately, Arturo finds out that this is going on and gets to the chateau before everyone returns, while only Jamie, Zoe, and a couple of resistance guys are left there. <laughs> Zoe is the one who really is the first one to run across them. He does not want to listen to Zoe because she's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which she finds a bit offensive. Zoe then is sent to get your leader. And so she goes in to wake up Jamie uh, and basically has him dressed up like a Highlander, complete with, you know, bandoliers, <laughs> uh, you know, a captain's hat that's slightly off kilter and has <laughs> him really play up this sort of, you know, uh, not one for, you know, <laughs> niceties uh warlord right you know scottish warlord and arturo loves it 
I thought, and, I thought that was funny <laughs> where she says something to Jamie about um, that he has uh, a very primitive primitive idea. idea of women, and Jamie says, "Oh, he sounds like a pretty nice guy." <laughs> right. <laughs> and he says it as a dig to Zoe. Exactly. <laughs> And Zoe's like, it's not a laughing matter. Oh, right. I, I, you know. That's one of the things that I love about Jamie is that he'll just pick at you, you know. Right. <laughs> kind of like me. <laughs> yes. Um, see, that's that's something, too, about Jamie, though, in this. Um, even though Jamie is a smart guy, he's not a very, you know, yeah, he's not very articulate and... So he has difficulty figuring out exactly what he wants to say. And Zoe ends up having to say everything for him. Right. <laughs> so Jamie has to try and convince Arturo to stay, but he's not quite getting through. Zoe starts feeding him lines. <laughs> ends up being the one who starts addressing Arturo himself. Um, and when Arturo goes, why you let her talk for you? Well, if she knows what she's saying, you know, it's basically Jamie's response. He's like, well, uh, why not? Especially when she's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and together they're able to convince Arturo to stay. This is when uh, the war chief informs the doctor that the war games are an experiment in order for the warlords to solidify a united galactic empire for a safe and secure society. Oh, well, maybe not quite like that. Um, <laughs> but the minute that the war chief said United Galactic Empire, my yeah. mind immediately jumped to Star Wars. Exactly. Um, <laughs> of course, this came out before Star Wars, so maybe this is where George <laughs> Lucas got the idea for the name. Um, see, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because the war, the warlord plays... Palpatine when he's subdued and the war chief plays Palpatine when he's angry. <laughs> when he's angry! <laughs> he's angry! <laughs> yes. Um, the war chief begins to reveal to the doctor his role in all of this and begins to say that you know ultimately what he wants to do is use this to take over mm -hmm. and become the supreme ruler of the universe, because this empire that the warlords are uh, attempting to create uh, will be used to take over star system after star system after star system until they control the galaxy right. or the universe, you know, you know, wherever they decide to go on from there. And so he's going to be taking over uh, that way. He also indicates that he knows exactly who the Doctor is. Oh, yes. As soon as they're left alone, he goes, you may have changed your appearance, Doctor, but I know who you are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we've only had two Time Lords so far in the series that are gone rogue. Right. <laughs> right. The Doctor and the meddling monk. <laughs> now War Chief. <laughs> Soon to be Master. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> that's my story uh, and I'm sticking to it exactly <laughs> this is Before... also the point where it's acknowledged in canon in the show for the first time that the doctor stole the TARDIS yes yes uh, the doctor <laughs> is a bit of a fugitive shall we say yeah 
Um, but before the war chief, though, finishes his pitch to convince the doctor to join him, which, of course, the doctor is rejecting, um, the warlord comes in and interrupts the interrogation, basically. And uh, the war chief decides to tell the warlord that the doctor has agreed to work with them and cooperate. Much to the doctor's surprise, because he never said such a thing. No. Um, the security chief says, no, the doctor should be killed, because, you know, petty differences never go away. Uh, you know, the, the warlord says that the doctor will be spared if he cooperates, but if he doesn't, both the doctor and the war chief will be killed. Uh, it's also after the, the warlord leaves that the doctor finds out that there is a reason why the war chief needs the doctor. Turns out the time-space capsules, the TARDIS lights that he's been using, have a limited lifespan. And he needs the doctor to help him either figure out how to extend their lifespan or recreate these things in a way that will work long-term or something. Um, the doctor... Goes ah, I knew there had to be something, you know. So, <laughs> um, but before things can get much farther with this, the resistance fighters have agreed to work together, and they put in place a uh, a plan uh, that will lessen the security forces of the warlords, leaving the the main zone open for direct attack. Uh, they start going around and destroying communication units in each of the various time zones. Uh, the security chief, of course, you know, the, after the first one is destroyed, the security chief sends uh, a couple of guards to investigate, uh, a technician and a guard. Um, when the second one is destroyed, the security chief sends a squad of guards, and so on and so forth, until all of the communication devices have been destroyed except for the one in the U.S. Civil War Zone which has the best place to you know, hide a large group of resistance fighters. They cleaned all of the security out of the main bunker. Yes. Because they've spread the security guards thin as they go you know, try and either investigate and or protect the destroyed communication devices uh, in each of the time zones. Because these things are on autopilot, they have to wait for them to come back around and pick them up, too. Right. <laughs> right. And so, phase two is once everybody is gathered in the U.S. Civil War zone, they're going to destroy the final communication device in order to take over the incoming, you know, the predictably incoming capsule, and then return back to the command zone. Right. Um, but the pattern has been deduced by the security chief too late. The warlord and the war chief uh, come in, realize his mistake, and are not pleased. Um, <laughs> Basically, and, they say not only are your guards stupid, <laughs> so, so are you. you. <laughs> oh. The war chief says, well, we know which time zone they're in. 
the American Civil War Zone, let's just drop a neutron bomb on them and wipe out everything. That'll solve our problem. And the warlord goes, that would work, but let's try something more subtle. And begins to outline a plan for the doctor to prove his loyalty. Um, the final communication device is destroyed. Uh, well, is about to be destroyed when the doctor shows up on the uh, television screen. Uh, he tells everyone that he's gained control of the machines. He's going to send a machine for them and demands, you know, and says that only a couple of people should come on board. He wants Jamie and a couple of the leaders. Um, Arturo is, of course, immediately suspicious. I'm going to! <laughs> yes. Um, oh. <laughs> what? Just a thought. <laughs> Uh-oh. You've been thinking again. Oh. Rob Snyder. Uh-huh. Plays a Mexican. <laughs> that reminds me of this guy. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah. He's played his Mexican character in multiple spots, either on television or movies or whatever. Um, he's in one of the, at least one of the uh, Adam Sandler movies, standing in the background of this mob going, You can do it! You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and this guy reminds me a, a little bit of, of Rob Snyder's Mexican character. That's funny. <laughs> so, Jamie, Zoe, Carstairs, Russell, Arturo, uh, all get on board the empty uh, capsule machine thingy. <laughs> uh, they leave one of the Resistance leaders behind, just in case. Uh, and the machine takes them back to the central zone, command zone. The doctor goes to greet them all when they're out in the open. They're surrounded by guards. The doctor says, don't move. And the warlord thanks the doctor for his cooperation. Um, this, of course, does not go over well with Arturo or Russell in particular. Um, and the security, you know, chief wants to get rid of everybody, including the doctor. Jamie's just um, kind of standing there with that puzzled, puckered face that he gets when he's <laughs> surprised her. <laughs> Doctor! Yeah. <laughs> what's going on? I don't know. That's, that's Jamie's uh, puzzled look. That it, right. He's just so... Uh, it, it becomes kind of an iconic thing for his character. Every time he gets puzzled, <laughs> he gets that puckered face look, you know. <laughs> eh? What? Uh, but... Of course, they're taken away to be processed or reprocessed in a couple of, you know, uh, instances uh, with Russell and Arturo threatening to kill the doctor the whole time and Jamie and Zoe trying to stick up for him, leaving Carstairs kind of in the middle. Um, <laughs> the warlord is pleased, you know, with the doctor's, you know, work, but wonders why the doctor switched sides. <laughs> the doctor says, well, well, I like to be on the winning side, of course. And uh, the warlord asks, well, how can you continue to help our cause? The doctor says, well, I can re-engineer the processing machines to work on the resistance fighters, you know, make it more powerful so that they will be will stay processed, basically. I could hear this uh, entire conversation coming out of Peter Capaldi's mouth. Uh, right. 
Um, the warlord says, fine, you'll do that and test it on your friends. Oh, they're not my friends anymore. They're our enemies. <laughs> Indeed. Um, the doctor is sent off with the security chief, uh, and the war chief turns to the warlord and asks, oh, are you leaving back to the homeworld now? No. <laughs> I'm going nowhere until the situation is resolved. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. You know. You gotta, you gotta love that. You're leaving now, right? 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 You're leaving now, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Darn. The security chief, of course, still believes that the war chief and the doctor are working together. And so when he takes the doctor to the processing room, he decides not to leave any guards behind. You know, <laughs> leaving the doctor to, you know, an angry the Mexican. Whims. <laughs> right, essentially. Um, Don't leave me with chief. the angry Mexican. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Such a stereotype. <laughs> anyway, uh, the security chief, of course, ever suspicious of the war chief, uh, conveniently mentions to the war chief that he's left the doctor unguarded, causing the war chief to run off, leaving the security chief alone in the control room where he can listen to some recordings that he's been taking the entire time. So he can overhear the conversation that the war chief and the doctor had earlier. My Schwartz is bigger than yours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the pettiness of all this is just <laughs> beyond belief in some regard. Uh, <laughs> the doctor is trying to explain the situation to the resistance leaders there, saying they were going to drop a bomb on you. This is the only way I could save your lives. Uh, Arturo, of course, doesn't believe the doctor, attempts to strangle the doctor right when the war chief enters with some guards. Um, the doctor begins reprocessing with Jamie. Dink, dink. <laughs> yes. Reprocessing. Um, he then, of course, immediately tells Jamie who he is, where he is, and what's going on. <laughs> and Jamie goes, oh, I, I, I'm back in whatever it was, 17, <laughs> I forget the, the year, but he's back in the Highlands, and the doctor is his clan chief and all this. And he's he goes, oh, I, I. He's fighting the Redcoats. And... He's fighting the Redcoats again. Oh, I, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and who is this guy? <laughs> oh, he's another friendly chief. Oh, oh, I, yes, I see that. Um, <laughs> of course, the war chief then goes, ah, good, it works. <laughs> and the doctor says, yes, and next we will do the girl. You know, of course, meaning Zoe. Um, the war chief goes back to report the good news to the warlord. Uh, the war chief being just alien enough not to pick up on... <laughs> oh, on, on Jamie's not-so-subtle yeah. playing along. Right. <laughs> Uh, um, of course, when the war chief returns to the command center, the security chief has him arrested because of the recordings, and he, uh, you know, drags him away and orders the doctor's arrest as well. See, this, to me, is where the story 
really started feeling like a master story. Because mm-hmm. how many times in the past have you seen a situation come up where the Doctor and the Master are at odds and then something happens in the story? For example, in um, Magician's Apprentice, and which is familiar, where they end up having to be allies. Right. You know. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, and, you know, especially where the Master tries to take advantage of the, the villains in a particular situation and then finds himself with the raw end of the deal and ends up having to have the doctor help him escape from it. Yeah. You know, that's happened a lot too. We'll see that happen a lot, particularly with John Pertwee uh, as the third doctor, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I didn't bring it up this time. You did. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, the, the war chief and some guards return to the processing room as the doctor is finishing reprogramming (laughs) all of the resistance leaders. Of course, Arturo is just angry enough to not realize that it's all a trick. And he's like, ah, it didn't work on me! I'm going to, you know, kill you now. (laughs) Mind tricks don't work on me, only money! (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or only my guns, because he gets very... Yeah, they're good uh, guns, see? They're good guns, yes! Um, But never miss. Um... (laughs) But I enjoyed this you know, character. You know, he's he's like <laughs> for as stereotypical as he was, he was kind of a he was really fun to you know to have thrown in the middle. Well, he, he, he was just, comic relief, you know. Yes. Um, Jamie finally manages to con- you know convince Arturo what's actually going on. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> he made um, it not work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for finally getting that through your thick head. Um, is kind of the the idea that we're getting from the rest of them, but that's when the war chief and his guards show up. The guards are overpowered, and the war chief explains the situation that he and the doctor are supposed to be under arrest now, um, and so the resistance leaders get their weapons and they have the war chief take them back to the command center. Uh, The security chief is about to broadcast across all time zones that the guards should return back to the central time zone there when he's interrupted by the resistance leaders and the warlord or the war chief uh, taking over. You know, the alarm is raised. People are killed, including the security chief who is maliciously and very pointedly targeted by the war chief himself. Um, and the war chief takes great pleasure in killing the security chief uh, <laughs> before he is disarmed by in car cold blood. Oh, totally cold blood because the war chief <laughs> is unarmed, or the the security chief is unarmed and running away and lying on the floor at one point. You know, <laughs> well, yeah, he gets he gets hit by the gun <laughs> by the sonic weapon, falls down, you know, and is kind of laying there on the floor, and the war chief. <laughs> Is still firing. Right. He's laying there twitching, you know. <laughs> Pretty much. He's dead. He's deader than dead. He's beyond dead, and the war chief is still firing. You get the impression that the, I guess the sonic weapon or whatever this is that he's using on him is causing his body to involuntarily keep moving. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you can clearly tell he's dead, but he's still like twitching and causing himself to slide further down the steps and stuff, you know. 
Right. <laughs> right. But at least finally we can get this petty bickering over with. Um, <laughs> the, the problem now is to get everyone returned back to their own time. The only issue is is that the time-space capsules that the Warchief has don't have the power to return everyone back to their own time and place. Because of the technology he's using on them. Right, exactly. They've, you know, they're nearer the end of their lifespan than the Doctor anticipated. So the Doctor has only one option remaining. The Warchief realizes what this option is, asks him to stop. The doctor says, I have no choice. Uh, lay, you know, sits down on the floor and lays out six cards in a bit of a circle. He goes into kind of this interesting trance. The cards form a cube, mm -hmm. and the doctor comes out of his trance and says that the cube contains all the information about the war games and a plea for help to the Time Lords, this, and he has to send it off. This is one of those situations where they bring something into play that you don't see a lot of uh, play, or at least you don't see a lot uh, used a lot. You don't see it used a lot in the stories is the fact that the Doctor has uh, the Doctor has a form of psychic ability. Yes. And you know, even though that is kind of something that is inherent in Gallifreyans, they don't make a lot of references to it, you know, most of the time. It's just something that you kind of see sort of when it's needed, you know, sort of like when he wiped Donna's mind, you know. Right. Um, right. Or what we get with uh, the first Doctor and the Sensorites um, with uh, Susan. Mm-hmm. Susan is, you know, telepathic mm -hmm. um, in that storyline. But um, see, I think though, and I could be completely off with this. I think that maybe female Gallifreyans have more ability with that than male Gallifreyans do. That's just it's possible. That's just my thoughts on that, though. Or Susan just has a higher concentration of metichlorians. Um, <laughs> <laughs> People are going to hate us for bringing so much Star Wars into this. <laughs> uh, well. Uh. They'll get over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the war chief, during the, you know, everyone's amazement at what's going on with this little message cube, has taken off towards the landing platform, where he is met by the warlord, who has him executed on the spot, basically, uh, because he heard the recordings um, and has found out that he killed the security chief. Um, so, of course, we have a dead, dink, dink, war chief but we do see the war chief again in other stories um so we get the idea you know in other stories with you know i don't know if it's novels or uh big finish but we do see the war chief return in other stories um so you, you get the idea that you know he is a time lord so he doesn't necessarily have to be dead dead he's just not regenerated yet. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, just because he's in other stories doesn't mean that he is not the master. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, um, the doctor and the resistance leaders 
you know, hightail it to the landing bay. They hear the screams of the war chief. They're too late to save him, but they overpower the warlord's guards and capture the warlord. Uh, of course, Arturo wants to kill the warlord. Uh, and the doctor says, no, we'll leave that for the time lords to deal with. They'll be arriving soon, uh, but he wants to get out of there. Um, he he does not want to be there when the Time Lords arrive, and we're like, well, why? You know, and that's the question that Jamie and Zoe are asking. He's like, I'll explain later. Um, he then, but Doctor, aren't they your own people? Yes, it's just very <laughs> complicated. Oh, uh, you know, but uh, the three of them and Carstairs head back to the nineteen seventeen zone because Carstairs wants to go look for Lady Jennifer. Um, That's the first time in this entire story that he's actually outwardly indicated that he likes her. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the They use one of the time-space machines to get back to 1917, but it's all very quiet. Um, they are running down the hill towards the TARDIS when, where they say goodbye to Carstairs, who fades away you know, as he's being returned back to his normal time and place. Mm -hmm. The Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe take off for the TARDIS, start moving in slow motion as they're fighting their way through a force field and barely manage to get into the TARDIS before, you know, they fall unconscious. Uh, uh, the Doctor <laughs> says, you know, I'll take us to the farthest reaches of the universe where the Time Lords won't be able to find us. And Jamie goes, oh, aye, that means we'll probably end up right in their laps. <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's not wrong. Um, <laughs> well, the directional control doesn't even work. I mean... <laughs> right. Well, at least the Doctor can't work it. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. He could teleport them into space, but he couldn't tell them where they were in space. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, you might fly through a star. Bounce <laughs> too close to supernova. Uh, it ain't like dust and crops. Boy. That'd end your trip pretty quick, wouldn't it? It would. Um, <laughs> we just can't let it anyway. go. <laughs> oh, anyway, the doctor attempts to escape a couple times from the Time Lords, but the Time Lords have the ability to continue to track him down. They, they sank his TARDIS to the bottom of the ocean at one point, uh -huh. and then he transported it into outer space, and <laughs> then they transported it to an area with full of alligators. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the doctor says he's going to transport them to a safe place. And Jamie looks at the screen and it's covered in alligators. And he goes, you call that a safe place? Right. <laughs> and then, you know, they're on the move again. And at first the scanner doesn't register what's outside. And then it sees, you know, a corridor on Gallifrey. I don't believe we ever hear the word Gallifrey in this, but... We are on Gallifrey, although, as we said, they, they never refer to the Time Lord's home planet right. as Gallifrey, and this is just the home planet, or my planet, uh, when the Doctor talks about it. 
Um, he's still trying to hide as much about his, his past as he can, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, basically, the three of them have been summoned as witnesses in the Warlord's trial. See, this is where the tone of the show completely changes. Yeah. You know, because the entire final episode is the Time Lords. Yes. It is. And so this is where we start learning a lot of what's going on with the Doctor and the Time Lords. Um, is it crazy that I missed their headgear and their collars? <laughs> I mean, as, as funny as people, as, as much fun as people make of it, I it was missed by me in this because I got so used to seeing it and everything else. Yeah, the, the design is definitely not what we see now. Uh, the, well, they, the headgear is the colors. Rose. Yes. You know. Uh, but they're much simpler and there's no complicated you know, headgear and tar- and uh, the, the giant swooping collars that go mm-hmm. up behind their heads. Um, and then, you know, it looks like it's more of like a black and white or black or a white and, and red mm-hmm. sort of color palette rather than, you know, the reds and the oranges and the purple. I guess it sort of could thing. have been red and gold or something. We just couldn't tell because it was black and white, you know. Possible, but, but it, it seemed like it was definitely like there was definitely white was the primary color mm-hmm. on their robes. Um, now I have noticed this, and I really like how they've done this in the the new series, especially since uh, Stephen Moffat has taken it over. Not every Gallifreyan in the High Council necessarily has the big collar and the headgear. Mm-hmm. Some of them do, some of them don't, and so. In doing that, visually, he's sort of tying this together with other things that we've seen, you know, in New Who. Right. So. The Warlord, uh, you know, the, the Doctor, you know, declares, yes, everything sent in the the Thought Cube is stuff that he witnessed personally and is truthful. Uh, the Time Lords order the Warlord to speak in his defense, but he refuses. Uh, the Doctor, of course, says he's just playing for time. Mm-hmm. I refuse to speak on the grounds that I might incriminate myself. Essentially, the <laughs> warlord is, the warlord does not want to speak, and so the time lords compel him to speak yeah. by causing a blinding pain in his head by staring at him. <laughs> telepathy, uh, warlord. Yeah, it's the telepathy stuff again. Um, the warlord denies that the court has the authority to prosecute him. The soldiers would have killed themselves anyway in their own time zones. The ends justify the means, blah de blah de blah. And he also says the Time Lords are complicit are complicit with him since the war chief and the doctor were both working alongside of him outside him. And the doctor of course says, I was not <laughs> um, And you notice that he never tries to use his special glasses or whatever on the Gallifreyans. Right. You know because he, yeah, he knows it won't work. Right. Um, this is when one of the space-time capsules shows up in the hallway near the TARDIS and a bunch of the Warlord soldiers pop out. They kill a couple of technicians who have been uh, inside, in, inside the TARDIS inspecting it, um, and then the guards head towards the... Uh, chambers, the, the courtroom chambers. Have you noticed that these guys act like they have absolutely no strategical ability at all? It's just, yes. they just run out, point, and shoot. Run out, point, uh-huh. and shoot. It's more, it's it's almost like, here we go again, 
battle droids. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Because yeah. they don't they don't even most of the time they don't even try to hide behind stuff. They just run out, take those giant sonic guns or whatever and just point and shoot, you know. Almost like right. they're robots, like they have like they're programmed to have no fear. You know. Right. Um the guards break into the trial, rescue the uh, warlord, and take the Dr. Jamie and Zoe as hostages and force them back to the TARDIS. The warlord tells the doctor to take him back to his homeworld. Uh, and the doctor says, well, I can't because I don't, you know, basically, J- Jamie says, basically, he can't control it, you know. <laughs> we ended up on your place by accident. Um <laughs> Of course, the warlord doesn't believe that and says that the doctor will make him many TARDISes. Uh, the doctor approaches the console, tells Jamie and Zoe to cover their eyes. A blinding light cripples the warlord and his guards as they race out of the TARDIS. Um, the Time Lords place a force field around the TARDIS, trapping the warlord and his guards there, you know, yeah. in one spot, and inform the warlord that. A similar force field is placed around his home planet to protect the galaxy from their kind, meaning no one can leave the planet right. or get in. Right. So the warlords are contained in their own corner of the galaxy. This is where they the- do something that I didn't expect them to do. Right. Um, because I was looking at this, and in my mind, I was thinking this was going to be a scenario sort of like you see at the beginning of Superman where uh, Jor-El banishes Zod to the Phantom Zone. You know, I was thinking this they're, they're going to do something where they're going to trap them in either another dimension or in some type of a limbo, you know, type of prison, that type of thing. And that is not even remotely what happens. No. <laughs> no. The Warlord and his guards are dematerialized, and it will be as if they never existed. Here's my question. Did they do that just to him and his guards, or did they do that to their entire planet? They don't actually say. I get the feeling it's just the guards and the warlord mm-hmm. because they've got the force field around the home planet. Right. And of course, you know, the doctor again criticizes the Time Lords for their, you know, stance of non interference. Right. Um, and so I feel like that just the warlord and his guards. It's interference enough for them. Right. Um, but it is possible. The reason I was the reason I was wondering about that is because if that was the case, then it would prove right up front that the Time Lords can be just as bad as the Daleks. Yeah. Because that's I don't mass think... genocide. I don't care right. I don't care how you play that out. Even if you remove them from time itself, that's still mass genocide. Right, right. I this is why that's why I don't think they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it was just that small group, um, and they've contained the rest of them in one place because not all of you know perhaps not all of the warlords agreed to the plan. You right. know that sort of thing. See, I, I want to agree with you on that, but it just it's just something to think about. You know, yeah, um, because. In my mind, I don't want the Time Lords to be introduced in that way. I want the Time Lords, if they do 
end up that way like they did with the time war uh, I want them I want that to be something that they kind of evolve into and then have to learn how to redeem themselves from yeah yeah I, I don't you know and from what we get with future time lord stories um, I definitely think that getting to the point where they're like the Daleks is something mm-hmm. that they grow towards and it, it's not what happened it's like here. they forget where they came from and they start craving power just like the Daleks do of course uh, the court's business is not over yet because while they have dealt with the uh, warlord and his ilk uh, they still have the doctor to deal with and we get the first of the doctor's trials at the hands of the time lords um, in this series there are <laughs> the a few a few yes the doctor has a few um, sixth doctor most famously probably but um, since he has an entire season <laughs> where he's on trial um, right <laughs> which should be part of this as well at some point so yes yes because the master is involved in those so we will <laughs> we will include the trial of the time lord in this <laughs> which I'm excited for anyways let's return back to <laughs> war games huh. the time lords of course have the doctor on trial because he's broken their laws of non-interference the doctor says yes I have and I'm proud to do so because I've been fighting evil and not merely observing it like you. Um, he asks for a thought channel so he can show off some of the things he's fought against. And he starts with the quarks of all things. Um, the quarks are these little robot things that serve the dominators. Um, and while the dominators themselves are kind of evil, the quarks are not so much. They're kind of dumpy little robot things that don't aren't very intimidating in my opinion, but um, he starts with the quarks, uh, proceeds on to the Yeti, um, then the Ice Warriors, Cybermen, and lastly, the Daleks. Um, He, of course, concludes his impassioned argument that while he is guilty of interference, they are guilty of passivity against such evil, and not using your great powers for good. Uh, The Time Lords, of course, say... We need time to think about this, and you'll be recalled when we've made our decision. See, this speech that he makes, to me, felt a little bit like a David Tennant speech. How so? Because David Tennant has that brazen, in-your-face kind of, I'm going to point my finger at you and tell you exactly how guilty you are and exactly what I think of you, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't maybe necessarily something that, we would have heard him say in one of the more modern series just because of the type of episode that it was, but the tone, mm-hmm. the tone of it to me felt a lot like a David Tennant speech, you know? Yeah, I could see that. I can see that. Uh, Jamie and Zoe have been told that they are going to be returned back to their home time and place. Um, they want to say goodbye to the doctor first. And so the time Lord, uh, who was supposed to send them back relents. Um, the time Lord allows them to say their goodbyes, uh, (laughs) and lets them have a moment by themselves, which is never a good thing when you have the doctor, Jamie and Zoe (laughs) together in one room at one time. Um, ready? Run. (laughs) Run. Exactly. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, <laughs> Zoe, it's funny because Zoe asks what punishment he's likely to get. Oh, probably you know a big boring speech about "Don't do that again" sort of thing. And, you know, and how, uh, how well, he said, "How I'm a bad boy" is what he said. Yeah, how, <laughs> how I'm a bad boy and don't do that again. 
and, and they go, well, why don't you try and escape? Well, are you sure? I don't really think it's a wise idea. Well, come on. Okay, fine. And so they <laughs> that, go that to was escape. Matt Smith right there. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, or Matt Smith channeling yeah. Pat Troughton. Um, That's what I meant to say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they make their way back to the TARDIS, but are intercepted by the Time Lords. Doctor finally admits that oh, there's no escape, and is forced to say goodbye to Jamie and Zoe. Um, they're sent back in a TARDIS, basically, to their own times. And the Doctor is told that their memories we wiped of everything except their first adventure with him. This was basically the first time you see the same thing happen to them that happened to Donna. Right. Right. Except Donna doesn't remember any of it. Right. Um, but they'll remember the first adventure, but they won't remember getting on the TARDIS at the end of it and leaving for ad further adventures. Um, it's really kind of sad. The, Zoe's... Zoe's goodbye because we the doctor is able to see them returned back to their time zones on a you know on a screen um, mm -hmm. back in the the courtroom, and Zoe's goodbye is really sad to me because uh, she you know she's back on the wheel the wheel in space right. is, is her first story where they ran across the Cybermen which we'll talk um, about much later much later <laughs> unfortunately um, maybe they'll have animated the rest of that series uh, by that time. Ooh. <laughs> because <laughs> only like two episodes had you know survived from that one anyway um she's returned back you know basically after she's bid the doctor and jamie farewell mm -hmm. um and one of her friends who was in that episode is there finds her and says oh well we need to get the wheel back up and running she goes oh yes of course and then sort of stares off like she's forgotten something and she's asked, you know, are you all right? Yeah. Yes. I just feel as if I forgot something very important. Yeah. And she gets ready to go back to work. She walks forward a couple paces, stops, turns around and looks one last time back towards the camera like something's not quite right, but then goes off back to her old life. you got to appreciate the continuity, though, mm -hmm. of bringing back the characters from the previous episodes, yeah. you know, just to give it that finality and to make it feel like it comes full circle, you know? Right. Right. And, and the way that they sort of <clears throat> lingered the camera there with Zoe was, it was really sad to yeah. me. And much more was, so than Jamie's <laughs> situation. Right. Because it, it was really sad and it was really kind of helpful to have Jamie because it sort of like gave you yeah. that breath like, okay, they're going to be all right. It's, it's not, you know, it's sad, but it, they're going to be fine because Jamie's returned back to the Scottish Highlands where he spots a red coat and uh, after dodging a musket ball, uh, whips out his sword and immediately <laughs> takes off across the hills <laughs> In pursuit of this red coat. He's like, uh, oh, you fire at me, will you? You know? <laughs> and he takes off brandishing his sword uh, as, he, as he pursues this fleeing red coat. <laughs> Makes me think of Will Smith from Independence Day. Oh, no, I know you didn't just shoot that. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. I'll end it there. Yeah. It's... <laughs> 
probably wise. Um, <laughs> this is a family show. But <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, so the, the doctor is is pleased at you know what's happening with Jamie and is like, all right, so now what are you going to do with me? The Time Lords say, yes, there is evil that has to be fought, and you still have a part to play in that. Oh, so I'm going to go free. Sort, in a way, you will be returned to the Earth, because we've noticed you've spent a lot of time there, to the 20th century. Oh, okay, in exile. What? You know, and the secret of the TARDIS will be taken from your mind until we deem it necessary to give it back to you. Oh, but you can't do that. You can't just exile me on some primitive planet. I like how as soon as he's going to be stranded there, he starts calling us primitive. Right. Um, <laughs> oh. um, besides, I'm known on Earth. It could be awkward for me. Right. Well, we're going to regenerate. You know, you're going to change. Your appearance has changed before. It will change again as part of your sentence. You can't just change my appearance without my you know, consent. Oh, don't worry. You'll be able to, uh, you know, choose what form you wish to take. And he's shown a bunch of slides, basically, of, you know, sketches mm-hmm. of people who he could be. And he's like, he finds something wrong with each of them. <laughs> that one's too old. Too that, old. That, too fat. That, too skinny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one just won't do at all. You know. It's, that one's too uh, young, he says on one of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, let me see. Too old, fat, thin, young. And won't do it all. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, he wheels back towards the Time Lords and starts, you know, berating them for, you know, his treatment and begins to be forcibly regenerated. He, and the whole thing ends with him with this weird thing where he starts spinning mm-hmm. Through time and space, basically shouting, "No, no, no, He's no!" Being teleported no. to the Earth, basically, basically, probably, uh, probably using a transmat. If I had to guess, entirely possible. But because I've seen them use that effect before with transmat, so right, right. So you know, it's that's entirely possible. But um, he. Uh, that's where the episode ends, as he's yeah. you know mid regeneration, spinning towards. You know, Earth in the 1970s, um, as we will see <laughs> next time. Um, but yeah, that's how it ends. That's the last story for the second Doctor. And finally, how the War Games ends. <laughs> um, one thing you did want to mention mm-hmm. uh, was that there's a fan redux right. of this scene. Yeah, there's a fan edit of the end of this episode. Um, it's uh, It's got... Two reconstructions of the the doctor in the the, the trial room, and uh, the first one being where they are uh, letting him show them the villains that he's fought, mm-hmm. and in doing so, this person has reconstructed the screen to give it kind of a digital you know swooshy effect and put in not new footage of these villains, but better footage. Mm-hmm than what was in the original footage. Um, you know, the, the footage that they put in there is still from the classic stuff, but it's just, it looks better. It, it, it's got better, you know, movement in it and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the second scene is actually where they're showing him the possibility of 
which faces he can choose. And that's my favorite part. Yes. Because I, I really and truly wish the BBC would do a special edition and put this in because it's so cool. And, you know, obviously the original would still be there, but you could release, say, a DVD or whatever with two versions, right? Uh-huh. Um, and the, the thing that I think is so cool about it is the first one that he says is too old is John Pertwee. Uh-huh. The second one that he says is too fat is Colin Baker. Yes. <laughs> the, the third one. Too thin is, is David, David Tennant. Tennant. And it cuts back to him when he says young. Yes. So we don't know which of the two youngest doctors they would have shown in that scene. But right. Then, Matt Smith or, or Peter Davison. Right. But then the last one is the seventh doctor. Yeah. Oh, that won't do <laughs> at all. And it's so cool to see that. Yeah. Especially with it all cut together in a way that really truly looks like it was intended to be that way. Right. You know, right. That, and I think that, that that's really cool. Also, at the very end of that scene, they do a little bit of morphing in the shot to really, truly kind of clean up some of the special effects that were already there. Mm-hmm. And they show you the actual transformation between the second and third doctors. So you get to see right. Patrick Troughton transform into John Pertwee on screen. Right. So I thought that was really cool. You know. Yeah. Um, Again, we do want to point out that this is a, a fan edit. Yes. Um, it's not official in any capacity. Right. If you want to see it, uh, search the War Games Redux on Daily Motion. Yes. To find it, because that's where it is. It's, it, it is kind of cool. I thought it was really cool. You know. But <laughs> I think it's time for final thoughts on the War Games, Paul. In less than twenty minutes, can you give me final thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I actually really enjoyed this. Um. It didn't feel like it was going to be his final episode or his final story arc until you got to the last 15 minutes of the last episode. You know, it legitimately felt like that it was just a continuation and that you were going to get to see him in the next story. Of course, they did sort of something similar with the third Doctor as well, uh, where you you didn't realize that it was going to be a a regeneration until you got to the very end of it. Mm -hmm. But... Well, actually, they did the same thing with the fourth Doctor, but, you know. Um, right. But I like it when you don't know. You know, I like it when, when it feels like it's a natural progression in the story. And to me, the story was very well done. It was very uh, well paced. Um, there was very, very little that I could see that I would have said, well, I, I would have probably cut that out, you know. Um, there most... I would say about 95% of what was in there needed to be in there to tell the story, at least in my personal opinion. And, you know, there wasn't, like I said before, a whole lot of jumping back and forth. You know, we've got to go over here. Okay, we've got to go back over here. We've got to go back over here. We've got to go back over here. There was one or two times, I think, maybe. But in in 10 episodes, you kind of expect to have a little bit of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if it was a you know four or six uh, episode arc, probably would not have expected to see as much of that. But I think that it was, I think it was well done. You know, um, I like the fact that they had really large sets. You know, you didn't feel claustrophobic um, in the way that this was set up. You know, there were outside shots, you know, or what looked like outside shots that really looked like outside shots. They didn't look like fake trees and fake rocks and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was really, a, a nice attention to detail, you know, 
Um, I loved Patrick Troughton's performance in this. You know, um, even though uh, he might not be quite as I'm going to say doctory in some of the ways he portrays the doctor compared to some of the other doctors, you know, because he doesn't have that cockiness that you see come later, especially starting with the third doctor. Um, but I don't mind that. I mean, I like his performance as the doctor, you know, um, mm -hmm. I like the fact that he is so underestimated because of the way that he behaves, you know, um, mm -hmm. and so because he's so underestimated, he can do things like walk into a demonstration and say, Oh, how about you let me see that? You know, because nobody expects him to be anything more than just some guy wandering in and, you know, looking at stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I like that. I like the interaction, especially going out of this uh, with, with him and Jamie, uh, you know, because Jamie's been around since, I mean, not necessarily actually day one, because, you know, we do have, uh, a little bit of time at the beginning without Jamie, but Jamie's through almost all of the second Doctor story arc, mm -hmm. you know, and and so I like their interaction going out of this. It really felt like that they were best friends. Yeah. So go ahead and add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to oh, say everything that you're going to say. No, I mean i I really like this storyline. Um, it is a very long one. Mm -hmm. It's a very dense one. So you have to kind of know that going into right. it. You can't just like, oh, I think I'll watch the war games today and then just sort of like randomly pop it in. Now you, you're gonna have to, you know, know that it's right, it's long and it's in depth and it's very dense. Right. Um, but there's a lot of really good stuff in there, especially as it pertains to the Doctor and the Time Lords. And this is a lot where a lot of that stuff really starts to be solidified. Right. You know, the, at least the bare bones of the Doctor and the Time Lords is that foundation is placed in this mm -hmm. episode. Um, and for that alone, it's a very important story for all fans of Doctor Who. And they also lay it out uh, from the beginning that they're at odds. Right. You know, right. That the Doctor is at odds with the time. Right. Lines. But uh, it's, it's, it's not some, like I said, it's not something you can just sort of pop in and say, oh, let's check this out. You know, you have to be, you know, paying attention. Right. To really catch all the things because, you know, if you, zone out for an episode, you come back and you've missed, you know, three subplots, you know, right. that have been started. <laughs> um, but I really like it. So, uh, you know, I'm going to keep my, my words, my thoughts primarily to this, this story. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a good story to wrap up Patrick Troughton's run. I thought so. Uh, because it, it gives him a lot of range um, as the doctor, mm -hmm. you know, in many different situations, there's some funny moments. There's some very serious moments. There's some impassioned moments. You get to see him, uh, using his technological skills. Right. Uh, you know, there's, you know, all of that is covered in this. And so I think we need to finally give this story rating. Did, uh, okay. Let me ask you this. Did you feel like there was any wasted space in this? Maybe just a little bit. Um, but only enough to maybe make it nine episodes rather than 10. <laughs> So, <laughs> in other words, not enough to really complain about. No, no, yeah, I wouldn't say so. Not like some of the other things that you know we've seen, like Beast of Steven. Um, <laughs> you brought it up this time. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But okay, okay. okay. Uh, how many? Let's see, how but, many Mazkanada goggles are we going to give this? Oh gosh, no, 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 no. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Oh, how many petty arguments are we going to give this? Hmm. 
Let's see. We're going to go with an eight. Okay. Eight petty arguments between yeah. the ward chief and the security chief. Yeah. Because you can't cut an argument in half, otherwise it's one-sided. <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> what if it's just interrupted? No, I'm, I think I'm going to give it an eight as well. I wanted to give it more, mm-hmm. but I do think by the end of it, the, just the length of this story, mm-hmm. you get a bit fatigued by the end. And which is why one of the reasons why we broke it up into two episodes this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that more than anything else is probably the only real criticism I can give is that this, this story is just so long that you get, if you're watching it all in one go, you get just, you just get tired right. by the end of it. Um, so do you think especially, that maybe they should have done the same thing with this that they did with uh, the third doctor story arc uh, where uh, they really and truly were telling one story, but they cut it in half and made, the first half about the master and the second half about the Daleks. I don't know, because um, that was essentially one story. Yeah, a continuation, continued story. Um, yeah, but we'll get into that later. But I, I don't know if you could do that with this because so much of it is dealing with the war games, and then mm-hmm. it's only the last you know little bit that we really get delve into the Time Lord aspect of it. But. Um, it is just so long and there's so much information dumped on you in that final episode mm-hmm. that I think that's, if I had a, any real criticism of this, that would be it. If you go, if you go into it unprepared, it can become tedious by the end. Um, yeah. Tedious or just exhausting. So you know, even though it's really good. Right. So that's why I'm giving it an eight rather than higher. So see what, what this, what would this be? It would be about four hours, roughly. Thereabouts, a little bit over four hours uh, total runtime. Thereabouts. That's a, yeah. that even by today's standards, as a miniseries, you know exactly. So. Yeah, so it's huh, it's a long it's a long chunk of, of time. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's it for the war games. <laughs> uh, we made it to the end. Our next episode, we will actually be dealing with the master proper. Yeah, uh, so that's exciting. <laughs> and uh, we were originally planning to have our next episode be our crossover uh, review of the Power of the Daleks animated, right. yeah, um, animated story uh, with the Examining the Doctor podcast. But Paul, something's gone on that's kind of yeah. put that on hold for a minute. Well, when we said that they were going to premiere the episode, um. We didn't realize that that meant premiere the first episode of the six-parter and then have one episode every week until Christmas. Right. (laughs) Um, We probably should have realized that, but we didn't realize that. And um, unlike Jason, I didn't get a chance to go to the cinema to see this in its entirety uh, because uh, I... Well... I don't want to get into details, but I just, I, I accidentally set myself up not to be able to do so. Right. Um, and so, uh, unless I can get this uh, as like a digital download or something like that, I'm going to be watching every episode every week for six weeks, which will put us having to release this uh, around Christmas, maybe New Year's. Right. Um, probably after the Christmas episode, if I had to guess. Probably. Um and so, so we'll we'll see if there's a way we can know, get it out earlier. But just to be perfectly honest, if I'm going to spend money on it, I would rather wait and buy the Blu-ray than to get the digital download. So right. 
that's just my personal preference because that way I have it in a hard copy. So, exactly. So you know, we'll we'll give you more information on that as it you know we find out what we're doing. But just want to let you know that. If you want to get in contact with us, though, um, let us know your thoughts on the war games or your opinions on the Master in general, whether or not you think we're right in wanting the monk, the war chief, and the master to all be the same time lord. Um, it just makes go sense. Ahead and... It does. It does. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. <sighs> anyway, uh, you can do that by getting in touch with us on our social media, which is Facebook, facebook.com slash talking time lords. Or you can tweet us at, at TalkingTimeLord or email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. Of course, all of those links, plus links to each of our previously released episodes, are available on our website, TalkingTimeLords.com. Along with artwork for every episode. Yes, that uh, Paul very awesomely puts together um, each and every episode. Well, I wasn't going to uh, go that far, but, you know. Well, I, I did. So... <laughs> Of course, please leave us ratings and reviews wherever you download our lovely little show. We would greatly appreciate that. Anything else, Paul, before we wrap up this episode? Hmm. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Patrick Troughton is a wonderful doctor. We shall miss yes. him as we move on to yes. spend an extended amount of time with John Pertwee's third doctor in our Master Stories series. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much for going with us on this journey through the war games. Uh, this has been episode number 56 of Talking Time Lords, The War Games Part 2. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream masterful dreams. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. No! 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 Stop! You're making me giddy! No! 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 <laughs> <laughs>
And of course, this one's got a whole bunch of stuff that we're wrapping up. So yeah. um, this will probably be closer to an hour and 45, is my guess. Because it's just so long. It's just, there's so much stuff in it. There's just so much stuff. It's still not, um, still not as, as, it still wasn't as hard to get through as the Dalek's Master Plan, though. No, no. But it's just a lot. It's so dense. Like, like I've said before, it's just so freaking dense. You know, I think that's probably why there are more downloads to the first half of Dalek's Master Plan than the second. <laughs> it's because Possibly. they listen to the first half and they're like, oh my God, this is so heavy. I don't know if I can make it through the other half. So they just it's possible. skip over it and go to the next episode or whatever. <laughs> it's possible. I think so. I'll just go read the synopsis, you know? <laughs> right? 